for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. This evening, I keep trying to say this morning, it is not morning even though we're at church. This evening, we're going to read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Here's what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no space for them in the end. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among to those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in their heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all they'd heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's this picture that we often have of the nativity that I think is a little misleading. I put uh, two nativity pictures in your bulletin in an insert. That top picture is a lot of times what we think of as the nativity. We imagine Mary and Joseph getting to Bethlehem and having no room in the inn, so they go off to this stable at the edge of town, outside the city limits, where they're secluded and alone and cut off from everybody else in order to have this baby. And so we picture this solitary building, maybe up on a hilltop, with the players in our manger scenes that are there, but nobody else around. Right? That's kind of what that first picture describes. You've got shepherds, you've got wise men. You've got Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, animals, angel, and that's it. Those are the only people present at the birth of Christ. But historically, I don't, I don't think that's very accurate. You see, historically, it was more like the manger scene you see on the bottom picture, in the middle of town, 
with a bunch of people passing by and surrounding them. You see, the stables that they had weren't these secluded places away from their houses. A typical Jewish house probably had a stable where they kept their animals close by. Kind of like a garage, if you think about our house. You know, you park your car in the garage, you park your donkey in the stable, and then go upstairs to your house. So most likely, what they were, yeah, and your scooters. Thank you, Olivia. So most likely, they would have been in the middle of town in Bethlehem, likely staying with a relative in that relative's garage. Now, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. In 52 weeks of the year, or 51 weeks out of the year, rather, Augusta is a pretty normal, pretty good place to live. I know people that grew up there call it Disgusta, but I don't think it's Disgusta. I think it's a pretty nice place. It has its problems just like every other place, but overall, it's just a nice, regular city. But one week a year, Augusta is crazy, y'all. You know about the Masters. It's the home to the Masters Golf Tournament, a tradition unlike any other. And for one week a year, Augusta is unrecognizable. The whole world descends on Augusta. And if you live there, you try and get as far away as you can because the traffic's just awful. They always time spring break at the schools to coincide with Master's Week because if you tried to drive to school, like, like I can't even imagine what the school buses would be like if they tried to have school during Master's Week. It just would not work. It's unbelievably crowded. It's just packed with so many people. So many rich people. People make so much money during Master's Week. And I bring this up because I think that Augusta, Georgia, during Master's Week, probably was what Bethlehem felt like when Christ was born. Bethlehem, despite how famous it is as the birthplace of Jesus and as the birthplace of David, it's not that big of a city. In fact, it was pretty small. David left Bethlehem when he was just a kid and moved out to Jerusalem and apparently never really went back. So when Caesar Augustus declared this census for people to return to the town of their origin, Bethlehem suddenly experienced this influx of people that it just was not equipped to handle. And I doubt any of those people were very happy to be there, just like the people in Augusta aren't very happy to be there during Master's Week. Can you imagine having to close up shop at your job, lose out on the money that you would have made for that amount of time, and take a government-mandated road trip out of your own pocket, all so that the government could tax you more efficiently? That sounds pretty rotten. I would hate to have had to make this trip. It's all the fun of a family road trip, hiking, mandatory unpaid leave, and the IRS all rolled up into one. And that's what Mary and Joseph and every single other person in Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, well, Jerusalem too, but Bethlehem that day was dealing with. And then to top it off for Joseph and Mary, they're about to have a baby. So they get to Bethlehem and there just isn't a place for them to stay. Now, generally, we blame this on an innkeeper who turned them away because there was no room for them in the end. But think about this. 
If Joseph is going back to his place of origin, so was everybody else and his extended family. I guarantee you, some of the people that were taking up room in that inn were kin to Mary and Joseph. Some of the people there could have let them stay, especially with a baby. They had to have known that we were there. So they see Joseph and his very pregnant wife stroll into town to have this baby, and they had a choice to make. They could have said, well, golly, I ought to let the pregnant woman have my bed. Or they could have said, no, dog, I'm just going to cozy up, and I don't care what happens to y'all. I know your family, I know your kin, but this is my bed. I don't care. And all it would have happened, all it would have taken for Mary to have the Son of God without cattle around was one family member who was considerate enough, considerate enough to offer her his bed or her bed for the woman who was great with child. But they didn't do it. And so Jesus was born with the animals instead. And, you know, they didn't know about germs way back then. But they sure as heck knew about smells. <laughs> they let her go into that germy, smelly, disgusting stable instead of doing the selfless thing and giving her a room to have the baby. So Mary and Joseph are there in the small town, packed with people. They're not in the edge of town or outside city limits, but likely they're in somebody's house in their garage where they keep their animals. And it's not like these walls had insulation. I know, like, we're about to sing Silent Night tonight, and it's a beautiful song, but I guarantee you that when Mary went into labor, I'll bet the night was not so silent. All those folks around her would have heard it. All those relatives knew exactly what was going on. And to their shame, they stayed put. So why even bring this up? Why talk about who else was around and, and whether or not they cared? Well, I want you to think about this with me. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came into the world that day. This could not have been a bigger deal. It is probably the most important thing that has ever happened, or maybe like tied with the crucifixion and resurrection, right? The king who would take away the sins of the world was being born that day. And because his own kinfolk couldn't be bothered to spare a little bit of kindness, God had to recruit a bunch of shepherds to come and to worship the newborn king. He had to recruit the shepherds to mark the occasion. Because I'll tell you one thing, Jesus was not about to go unworshipped on that first Christmas. It wasn't Jesus who missed out when the people in the town failed to acknowledge him. It was the people that missed out. They missed out on having an encounter with the living Word of God in their midst. They were so caught up in themselves 
so caught up in their inconveniences, so caught up in their comfort and their judgmentalism about this pregnancy and the way it happened, that God moved powerfully in their midst and nobody except the shepherds that God imported from outside of the city cared. How sad is that? Not sad for Jesus. Sad for the people in the city. They could have had their names written. We could have read about them in Luke 2, but we didn't because they were too selfish. But y'all, it's so easy to judge those folks. It's so easy to believe, well, if it had been me, I would have given my room up for Jesus to be born in. Or at the very least, I would have noticed and bowed a need to King Jesus on his birthday. But y'all, let's get real. How many times has God been moving in my midst and I failed to look up from my cell phone to do anything about it? How many times has God wanted to do something in my life or in the lives of my neighbors around me to move in power with me and I failed to look up from Candy Crush? How many times has that happened? How many times has it happened to you? I'm no better. So what does God have to do to get our attention this year? What will get us to look out and look up and see what God is doing in our midst? Because the miracle of Christmas is that God loved you so much that he humbled himself to be a dirty, helpless, baby human. He loved you so much, he gave up control of his body. He, he had a body in the first place. Bodies are gross, y'all. God didn't have to do it. But he did. Because he loved you. And he loved you on up to grow up and to live a selfless life. And to show us what it means to live in his kingdom. And he loved you enough to die for you. And not a clean, sanitary death, but a painful dirty, gross, painful death on the cross. And he loved you enough to rise again and permanently defeat death and then invite you to celebrate in that victory with him. And like all those folks in Bethlehem that day, half the time we're too busy to look up and take notice of what Jesus is doing. And like those folks, when we fail to notice what God is doing in our midst, we are the ones that miss out, not God. God's going to do what God's going to do. We have an opportunity to participate that. And if we fail to take that opportunity, then we are the ones who are worse off for it. So this Christmas, notice Jesus. Notice what he's doing in your midst. Ask him what he would have you do. Ask him how you ought to live. Find out what God is doing in your life and in the lives of those around you, and then join in with him. Don't let him pass you by today without an opportunity to worship. Sometimes, sometimes what God is doing shows up in the form 
of a person we'd rather ignore, a person we'd rather walk past, a person we'd rather not interact with or deal with, like all those folks thought Mary was. Sometimes it happens as a still small voice in our conscience. But God is calling us to notice. So what is, God, what is it going to take this Christmas for Jesus to get your attention? We're fixing to go from this place, and hopefully we'll be with family, hopefully we'll be with friends, hopefully we'll be opening gifts and celebrating and we'll be busy, and we'll be happy, and we'll fill our bellies, and we'll have a great time. But it would be a tragedy if we had such a great time that we missed out on Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I confess that so often, so often, I have been guilty of just ignoring of not paying attention to what your Spirit is doing, to how your Spirit is moving. Like my mom used to say, if it was a snake, it would have bit me. Father, bite me, I guess, if you have to. Do what it takes to get our attention. so that we do not miss out on what your Spirit is doing this Christmas. Show up for us, God, and give us the grace to show up for you. In your name I pray. Amen.